All right. Well, I too greet you. For those of you who are our guests, my name is Tim. I'm also one of the pastor elders here, and my privilege to get to preach God's word this morning and uh, to do so from Psalm 63. But before we get to that, just want to kind of give you some setting, not to the text, but some setting here to Trinity. Um, I want to take you back to our previous series that we preached through, um, and that was Titus. And I want to remind us and help us tie together. Why did we do Titus, and why are we doing Psalms now, and then the next series as well? Um, what, what's, what are we seeking to get done through the preaching of the Word this year at Trinity? So we finished our first and second Samuel series um, early in the year, and uh, we launched into Titus, and it was there that we sought to make a case that Titus is often overlooked as a letter, in particular in the preaching of this letter in the church today. And what we, what we communicated there is that's really to the detriment of the church. That's not to the, that's not to the health or the help of the church that it's often ignored. Um, the church at large has suffered greatly simply because we have ignored that little letter. Um, we need more, not less, of Titus operating in the life of the church here, okay? So then we moved on into our summer psalms, which is where we're at this morning, and they are psalms of God's presence. And we're now preaching our fifth psalm. We'll preach another psalm next week. We might do one more after that. We'll see. Um, but where Titus offered us a bit of what we were saying, it's, it's a church manual, how to do life together as a church. Um, the Psalms remind us, don't attempt to do church life together outside of the presence of the Lord. All right? And so, and so we, we're, we're trying to marry these two series together, right? And so if Titus is about what do we do as a church, then this Psalm series is about who we have while we do what we do as a church, okay? We have the very presence of the Lord as we do church life together, all right? Soon, we'll start our next series, which is going to be quite a bit of a different series for us as a church in that um, we will be preaching expositorily, but we're going to be doing a topical series, which if you've been here for any length of time, I don't remember the last time we've done this, okay? So it's going to be a bit different, um, and... It's going to take us all the way to Advent, right? So that series is titled Trinity Community Church Doctrine, Distinctives, and Direction. And yes, yesterday we turned 27 as a church, all right? And so here's the dynamic, if you will, that has the attention of the elder team. Um, many, there's a, there's a large class. It's large for us as a church, a large class going through the journey class currently, uh, many of you uh, are in the room, you're in the class, many of you are in the room and you took the last class or the previous class before that, okay? And uh, that re represents a, a good chunk of what's here this morning. Uh, but we also have a lot who are here this morning, and you joined the church 10, 15, and 20 years ago. And you, you do not remember what's in the journey notebook. It's been a long time. And so this next series is intended to refresh us, somewhat be kind of a journey 2.0. Now, we're not going to be preaching through the journey notebook. That's not 
what we're, what we're seeking to do. But we will be taking the major themes from the notebook, and we're going to be preaching things like the gospel and the doctrine of salvation and relationships and serving and stewardship and mission and trinity, um, well, the trinity. We'll be covering that and the Holy Spirit and um, partnership and what is a pastor elder and, and, and. So that's where we've been and that's where we're going. But for this morning, we're here, Psalm 63, Psalms of Presence. And here's the big idea over this psalm this morning. Great suffering leads to great need and great hunger for something better than life itself. Great suffering, need, and hunger give way to great enjoyment and feasting found in God alone. All right, let's pray. God, we just recognize we pause, we recognize, we need you this morning. We need you as we preach through your word. Lord, I want to confess. I want to lead us as a church in confessing. We do not hunger for you as we ought. We are not thirsty as we ought to be. Lord, we're not feasting. We're not thirsty. We're not feasting as we ought to be in light of who you are in light of what you've accomplished. So Lord, I just pray, very simply, God, would you stir our hearts this morning in the preaching of your word? Would you do what only you can do? Be at work in our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to dive right in. It starts with great suffering. It really starts in the title of the psalm, even before we get to verse 1, because suffering is in the title, all right? So there's great suffering and it flows, this psalm flows out of dark days, days of trouble. It is a psalm of David. We're told that. And you need to know that it's a psalm of trouble. It's a psalm of suffering. When it says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness, I mean, that's an indicator for us. We'll see later, I think it's verse 9 tells us he's the king. Okay, so he's in the wilderness and he's the king. That right there, right? sets a contrast for us. What is the king doing in a wilderness? Okay, um, so we can also know that this is, because he's the king, this is not him on the run in the wilderness running from Saul, and that's bad enough, right? This is him running in the wilderness for his life, running from his son, Absalom. That's the background to this, to this psalm. Uh, while he is king, uh, he is being hunted by his son, Absalom. So he, there's pieces to the puzzle that we want to put together, give us a picture to the rest of the psalm. So again, he's in the wilderness. Think harsh, difficult environment, all right? He's not in the palace. Uh, verse 9 tells us why he's there. It says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. The psalm loses its punch if you have the king in the palace. Um, if you have the king living like a king, uh, back in the palace, eating grapes, relaxing with his children. No, here, he's scavenging for food. Uh, he's running for his life. He's hiding in the caves. He's, he's, uh, he's running from his very... Son, this is a psalm of a suffering king. 
the king's own son wants him dead. This is suffering on a whole other level. This is not the kind of suffering you and I might be going through. Um, In some ways, this is suffering we cannot even relate to. Great suffering leads to great need. It's number two. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, you are my God, meaning in the raging storm, that is his suffering, God, only you are God. Only you are God and only my God will do in the midst of the suffering. Without you, I have nothing. No other God for me. Oh God, you're my God. Not only when things are well, oh God, you're my God, but when things are not well, oh God, you're my God. Even when I say I'm blessed, you are God. Even when things are difficult in life and my son hunts me down to end me, oh God, you're my God. I thought it was bad when I was fleeing for my life from King Saul. But this is a whole other level of wilderness for David. And so David continues to paint a backdrop, if you will, on the canvas. Because that's where he cries out, Oh God, you are my God. You are my God in the wilderness. You are my God in the unthinkable circumstances of what is my life right now. You are my God in the pain. You are my God when my son rises up to kill me. Now, David David doesn't know where all this is headed. He doesn't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know why I'm suffering. All those questions that we bring to the wilderness of our lives. But David does know in the midst of it, you're God. You're my God. We must not underestimate or give a token nod to what David has already said just in one verse. Because now the rest of the psalm will put its weight on verse number one. All of its weight goes on verse number one. If you miss verse number one, you miss the entire psalm. It's the key that unlocks the door to the rest of the psalm. What David Um, needs most in the harsh environment of his wilderness suffering and what you and I need the most in our wilderness suffering, well, we could, we probably have a list. Whether we physically have made the list or it's just some things that we know in our mind, there's some things that I need. Uh, For David, water might be nice. He talks about just his thirst. Um, Food would be good. In the wilderness, peace, victory. For us this morning, you might say money would be helpful. A good housing situation would be helpful. Family relationships, health would be nice in this situation. I can think of a lot of things. What do you need most? David makes it clear. What he needs most is the presence of the Lord. I need God. Oh, Lord, you are my Lord. Oh, God, you are my God. Great suffering leads to great need, which leads to number three, great hunger. Now, I want to confess, 
As we get into point number three and we move along in this sermon, I want to confess, I don't hunger as I ought. I don't know the depths of which David is thirsting from. And I don't know that any of us do. I come this morning recognizing I need more hunger for the Lord. I stand here this morning preaching to myself and to us together. Now, I don't want great suffering. That's not, you know, none of us sit around and think, wouldn't it be great to suffer? But I also know where great suffering can lead. Can lead, doesn't always lead. So I pray, Lord, create in us a hunger. A hunger that I might hunger. (laughs) I'm thirsty that I might be thirsty. Thirsty for what? Thirsty for, oh God, you are my God. To the Lord, we pray, would you work in your church and create in us an insatiable hunger for you. Not for the things that you you bring, simply. Not for your gifts, but for you, yourself, we long for. Oh, that a hunger might rise up from within our hearts here That verses one through three, a psalm of David would be a psalm of Trinity. A psalm of our hearts when we were in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. He says, earnestly I seek you. Do you hear just the hunger of his soul in the wilderness, in the suffering? I'm hungry for you, for your presence. It's much like Psalms 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 143, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Thirsty soul, fainting flesh, that's the kind of hunger we want to hunger and thirst for God at Trinity. It's the kind of worshiper we want to be as we gather, as we walk in the door, as the music begins to play. This is the kind of hunger we want for the presence of God. You may be new to Trinity this morning. You may have been here the last 27 years. For both, oh, that our souls would be crying out for God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. That kind of urgency just rising up within us, even in the suffering. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're facing great suffering. Even in the suffering, let there be a cry. Oh God, my God, earnestly, I seek for you. I long for you. This is not David saying, I guess I'll seek you. Perhaps I'll seek you. I guess that's what I have to do in my suffering. I guess, I, I guess it's kind of my duty is to seek the Lord. This is not a religious seeking of the Lord. This is not some sort of dutiful seeking of the Lord. This is raw 
hunger and thirst for the living God. Earnestly, I seek you. It brings no honor to my wife for me to say, hey, honey, let's go on vacation. Let's go spend the day together. And she asks, why? What, why are we going on vacation? Well, it's my duty as a husband to take you on vacation. It's my duty to spend the day with you. Um, yeah, that's not going to elicit the kind of response that uh, we're going for here. The, the, the time away together is no duty at all. It's the joy of presence being together. And so we can tend to look at this psalm and almost think of it dutifully and that I'm preaching to kind of create some sort of dutiful response. I'm not. It's the passion of his soul that's crying out. It's the joy of the presence of the Lord that we preached about last week. No one has to tell Kim and I, hey, why don't you guys go grab some coffee and take some time this afternoon and be together? It's our joy to do so. There's no one, literally no one, on the face of the earth that I'd rather spend my afternoon with than her. To the rest of you, I kick you to the curb. <laughs> like, no, I want to be with her. And that's not my duty. It's not your duty as a husband or as a wife. It's your joy. And there's a sense of urgency coming from the psalmist here. He wants to have time. He wants to be with his Lord. That's this psalm. Hunger and thirst just jump off the page of the psalm. And if you think that is some dutiful religious thing that he's expressing, you miss the glory of the psalm. And it is glorious. We are all thirsty people this morning. We arrived thirsty. We will head home thirsty. We are hungry, thirsty people. We can thirst for, we can thirst for people. We can thirst for pleasure and money and promotion and advancement and, 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 and. We can thirst for more and more and more. Our thirsts are insatiable. We easily then settle in that thirst for lesser things. Those things that leave us, I'm going to say, emaciated and hungry for true food. There was a time in my life where I didn't know that junk food isn't actually food. <laughs> it's not food. It has no nourishing value to the body. It's just, well, it's, it's empty, right? The, the advertisement that snicker, Snickers, what, satisfies is false, <laughs> is false advertising. It doesn't satisfy. That's the whole point of the commercial. If you would be satisfied, you're not going to get another Snickers, right? The whole point is, well, come back for more. Be satisfied again because it's empty food and it doesn't satisfy. Have you not found that to be true of your own soul? as we stuff ourselves with empty nutrients that do not feed the soul, 
right, with other things, I've got to have more. I need more. I need more security. I need more in the bank. I need more in the, in the, in the retirement fund. I need, I need a better job. I need a better circumstance. I need, I need, I need. It is C.S. Lewis. We've read it many times here. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Yes, we are far too easily pleased. And so the thirst jumps off the page. Verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. God is God to David. God, not the things that God provides David. Those are wonderful things. Those are, those are God's gifts. Let's not confuse gifts with God. We don't worship the gifts. Our joy isn't found in the gifts. It's kind of the Lord to gift us often, but that's not where the joy is. The joy is in the very presence of God. You, church, those who've repented of your sins and you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you have the presence of the living God in you. I can't say anything more glorious to you this morning. That's it. That's the ceiling this morning. So if you're here and you're waiting and going, when's he really going to get to the good stuff? You might want to go ahead and just beat the Baptist to the lunch line. That's the top. That's the peak. You have the presence of the Lord. Don't serve and worship his gifts. Serve and worship God. He, not his gifts, are better than life. He is. David here is saying, I choose God. <laughs> God, you are my God. I take, I take God. He's saying if I could have life or I could have God, I take God. Because God's better than my life. Which means I choose God over all the other things that this life offers. Thank God for his gifts, certainly. But next to God, take God. See, we were never created to find our ultimate hope and joy in things horizontally. We were ultimately created for more. We settle for too less, too little. It's that we might find our hope and our joy vertically as we look to God. Oh God, my God has provided something better than his gifts. He has provided him. Him is who we need. Here, I want you to be freshly shocked. These are so familiar. I tried to find the most familiar verses I could find on this. But be freshly shocked at this news. Matthew 1. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. 
Do you remember Advent a few years ago? We actually preached that in three weeks. One week was God. We just preached God. Be shocked at who we're talking about here. It's God. And then the next week we preached with. Are you, what, what, why is God with? And who's he with? The third week we preached us. Shocking news this morning. God is with us. Matthew 28. It's the bookends to Matthew. He starts with the presence of the Lord. You know it. At the end of the book is he's commissioning his disciples to go into the uttermost parts of the earth. And we're part of those disciples. And what does he say? At the end of the book, he ends it like he began it. And behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. Be freshly shocked on how that gospel begins and ends. This is why the prosperity gospel is so dangerous, church. It makes God to be nothing more than a genie in the bottle. It makes you to be the God. It makes man God. It makes God to be subservient to you. You're the God. The beauty and glory of the gospel, however, says, love God because he's been good because he's been generous, because he's kind and loving and faithful and merciful. He's steadfast in his love and his grace towards you. Yes, he serves you, but not because you're God, but because he's God. That's the beauty of the gospel. He does so without manipulation. He does so not because of your efforts. He does so not because of your good works. He does so out of his covenant faithfulness towards you. You didn't give anything to receive that. He gave it all to you. So church, hunger for him. Not out of a sense of duty. Not out of a sense of religion. Not out of a sense of transactions to be made with God. It's a joy for the church to say, oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek for you. Hunger for him without duty. Do you desire the Lord this morning more than life itself? If so, lift your voice to the Lord and thank him for such desire. If you're here this morning and you're going, yes, there's something in your heart that's going, yes, earnestly, Lord, even in the mess that I am, even in the, the, the lack of hunger that's within me, if there's anything at all in you that's saying, oh God, you're my God, earnestly I seek you, then praise be to God. Right there, praise be to God, stop the psalm, right? That's enough. That is divine. That is not human. That is not natural. That is not just you just kind of having a heart for God. That is God working upon your heart that you would have such a desire this morning. Praise be to our God. The prosperity gospel actually aims too low. It says, give to God so you can get his gifts. The gospel says, I have more for you than gifts. I've got myself. I give you me, the Lord says. Paul Tripp writes, bad theology will complicate and worsen your suffering. Bad theology will crush your hope when it needs to be bolstered. 
Bad theology will weaken your faith when it needs to be strengthened. Bad theology will leave your heart wondering and wandering when it needs to be rooted and at peace. You, you might not be suffering. You might be here this morning thinking, yeah, that's just not me. I'm not, I'm not suffering. Well, just keep living. Just hang in there long enough. You're going to suffer in this life. We want to prepare for suffering days before we get there. What's more, there is a corporate aspect to this psalm. Look at verse 2. He says, So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. The sanctuary. David finds great satisfaction back there in the sanctuary, which is back there in Jerusalem, which is not where he is. He's in the wilderness. He's not in Jerusalem. Which means he's thinking back fondly of the Lord's presence where the Lord made himself known. It was at the temple. He, he would make himself known to his people. This was a, the place where the corporate people of God could gather and come to worship the Lord. And part of the psalmist's longing is he's longing for that. He's longing for that, that place of corporate worship. He's, he's in a lockdown of sorts. He can't make it to the building. He's sovereignly hindered from getting to the temple to that place of worship, that corporate worship, there is no live stream. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And he misses it. And he's saying, I've been there. I've looked upon. I've beheld your power and your glory there. Listen, what a gift it is for the people of God to gather this morning for corporate worship. What a gift. What a gift. No, this building is not the sanctuary. <laughs> New covenant, he, he does better. He, he improves in the temple experience. Go to that building. Go to that place where the Lord's presence exists. The New Testament, the New Covenant believer, is the tabernacle, is the temple. It's not the building. It is the people. So John 1 says it like this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember what that word dwelt means? In the original, it's, and the Lord tabernacled among us. Oh, praise be to our God. He says, as, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. How does Paul? Paul addressing the Corinthians in their, their sinfulness, how they're handling their bodies. He says, don't you know what? That your body is what? A temple of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to a building. You have the very living God within you, inside of you. And so Christ then, he, well, he lived. He tabernacled amongst us. He died, he rose, he ascended, and before he ascended, what? He told his disciples, it's best for you that I go. And we would all be right there with the disciples going, time out. How can that be best? I'm thinking it would be best for you not to go. It'd be better that I go. Why? Because he will send his spirit to not live among you, but to live in in you. 
he will no longer live in the limits of his humanity and his human flesh. His spirit will now tabernacle, dwell in all who belong to him. How much did David understand that when he was penning these words? We don't know. How much more is the new covenant believer filled with joyful worship to know those truths? I don't know the extent when he's speaking of his joy, but his joy on the other side of Christ, on the other side of the cross, wow, what? I feel like we have such an advantage looking back to what Christ has already accomplished. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs for you. Yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. This psalm, verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David, here in the wilderness, you and I at different times in the wilderness of our lives, uh, David, David could completely lose everything at this point. It's okay, is what he's saying. I've got God. I have the presence of the Lord. Lord, help us to own, verse 3. They're not just words. They're not just impersonal words or abstract ideas. They're not academic truths. This is your God, my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Do you see it? Do you see him just longing for the presence of the Lord? That's this entire series that we're walking through. Oh God, fill us with such a hunger, not simply for lesser things, not for your gifts. Praise God, he gives us gifts, but for him, for him. The only place he can find hope in the suffering isn't in the victory. It's not in food. It's in the presence of God. That's his great need. Well, good news, gospel news. Christ came to live among us, Emmanuel, God with us. The gospel speaks to this need for presence. It addresses our need. You have the Lord's presence because Christ took on human flesh and was born as a baby. And it's that gospel that drives us to verses 4 through 11. It leads us to great feasting. I'll read it and then make a couple comments. So, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied. As with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Hear me. If verses one through three is this great, insatiable, what is it? This hunger, this thirsting, this earnestly, I will seek for you hunger. 
then verses 4 through 11 is this great fasting, feasting. Sorry, it's not fasting at all. It's this feasting. It's a great feast. That's what's happening. And, and, and you just need to know, I'm so heavily influenced at this point by John Piper. I don't know where I'm quoting him anymore. I'm not, I will try to quote some of him, but I'm just influenced at this point. So just consider, well, I can't even, yeah, I can't, I would offend him if I actually said I'm quoting him because I can't do justice. I just don't know anymore when I'm quoting and when I'm not. It's just a part of me. Just know none of my thoughts are original, right? That's, that's what you need to know. All those bridges, now let me quote them, okay? <laughs> God is worshiped, honored, and savored, both when we faint for him and when we feast on him. Oh. Fainting is the form of worship when God is distant. And feasting is the form of worship when he is near. The heart that savors God above all things will experience yearning and longing and thirsting and panting and fainting when the vision of God is distant and dim. And that same heart will experience feasting and satisfaction when the vision draws near and becomes clear. It's right there in the same song. Hunger, feasting. Piper continues, The great hindrance to worship is not that we are pleasure-seeking people, but that we are willing to settle for such pitiful pleasures. Jeremiah puts it like this, My people have exchanged their glory for which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Psalm 63, verse 4 and 5, one more time. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied with rich food fat with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips and invite the worship team please return great suffering is the wilderness great need is god you are my god great hunger not in his gifts but in god himself great feasting is found in the joy you have him you have him believer you have him God is worshiped both in the famine of verses 1 through 3 and the feasting of verses 4 through 11. Worship God when there is loss and famine and, wow, you just feel so empty. Where is the Lord in my circumstances? Worship the Lord in your wilderness and worship the Lord in your abundance in the feasting. And we know that points to a future day before that throne where we will be in the presence of the Lord face to face. Feasting is revelation. It's a feast. Verse five, my soul will be satisfied as with 
fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Stand with me. Great suffering leads to great need and great hunger for something better than life itself. Great suffering, need, and hunger give way to great enjoyment and feasting found in God alone. I don't want us just to sing words on a screen. I want us to communicate our heart for the Lord as we sing. Turn it into a prayer. Get alone with the Lord if you need to. Go to your knees if you need to. Come to the front if you would like to. But, 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 but have a moment with your God. Oh God, my God, earnestly I seek you. Oh Lord, would you help us? Amen.